Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Sensible Hippie Podcast, and I'm your host, the Sensible Hippie. Today we're embarking on a journey that will shine a light on a truly fascinating approach to nutrition and wellness. Our guest today is no stranger to the world of health and holistic living. He's a renowned expert of the field of nutrition, a prolific author, and a voice that's been at the forefront of health conversations for decades. His wisdom has been sought after by those seeking to understand the intricate connections between diet, health, and longevity. We have the remarkable, incredible Adam Bergstrom with us today, and we're diving into his book, Mind Hacking for the Millions. Adam says anyone can hack minds, and the most important thoughts are the ones we don't even know we're having. Adam brings a rare blend of knowledge about how our feet can reveal deeper truths about our health and well-being. We'll dive into the connection between body language and the art of manifesting through our thoughts and so much more. So get ready for a conversation that's bound to be as enlightening as it is unconventional. Adam, we're honored to have you here today. Well, I'm really excited to talk about this mind hack. I was reading your book and it's so interesting. It really is. I love the stories that you've mentioned, all the different um, incidents, I guess, the, the stories that you related that you were, I guess, that you had personal hands-on treating or feats on. <laughs> feats on, people. exactly. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, you can that. do it with the hands, too, but it's easiest with the feet because you get, uh, what do you call it, more amplitude. In other words, when a person has a negative thought from either the left or the right, the foot will jump. And I've actually seen it maybe in half the times. If you were quick enough, you could slip a credit card under the foot actually jumping off the floor. So it's very dramatic. Some people have no sense of body uh, of their body. I've worked on people where they have tremendous uh, muscle movement and they can't feel it. And other people, when I say, oh, your left foot just jumped, I felt that, yeah, I felt that. And strangely enough, why it's wired that way, left is male, right is female. So automatically, when you mention a certain type of thing, you saw how the conversations work. You ask a person something, uh, uh, anybody bothering you, and then the right foot jumps, and you know right away there's a woman involved. And one of the interesting stories there was someone came to me with a uh, with their, their back completely out. I had to gently get them down on the floor and rearrange them so I could get access to their feet so i turned their feet and i said anyone bugging you and she said yeah my husband uh, uh and uh but the right foot jumped so i knew it was a little more complicated than that because it would have been the left foot if she was really bugged at her husband so i said tactfully is there a woman involved you know your mother-in-law another woman yes two of them and one of them said I don't care if he is your husband, I'm going to have him. <laughs> and then the right foot went again. So normally you would just keep asking questions to find out what was happening. But I had a little experience that sometimes many relationships with sisters uh, are involved with a 
sister rivalry over the father's love. So I just asked, uh, do you have any sisters? And she got it right away. She said, oh, my God, the one sister even has the same name as the aggressive one. And the other one is like the passive one. She jumped off the floor, her back completely better, and said, I'm going to go give those women a hug and tell them I understand. She did, and they never bothered her husband again. So it shows you how, now that's a perfect resolution. Many times when you point out a trauma to a person, they can't face it. That's why they would rather take the pain, even the disease, even cancer, heart disease, whatever. They would rather take that to confront the person that they either uh, have a, a, a depression over or are angry at or whatever it is. They just won't do it. In fact, I would say one out of one out of maybe one out of ten, one out of five, one out of ten will actually face it. And as soon as they do, the problem often miraculously goes away. So no other technique, see, applied kinesiology, NLP, all these ones uh, say they can get to the mind. But with mind hacking, you can not only find the trauma, but you can ask the person what's the best resolution and see what what will actually uh, – because people ask me, well, once you find the trauma, what do you do about it? Body ha I mean, keep mind hacking until you find out the answer because the person knows the answer, only they repress it and don't want to face it. And sometimes the uh, confronting the person is so traumatic, uh, they just can't do it, you know, and they don't. I've seen – and a lot of times I would have more stories, but because – at the time I was practicing, the body was my files. I would come back to a person 10 years later and ask a question, and I'd say, oh, I remember this. Yeah, you're still not over that one 10 years later. One of them, uh, I had a really close friend, and I sent her to a Donald Lay for a session. And uh, he, she was so impressed and, with him that she kind of let her heart out and uh, her trauma was her mother had said it would never tell her i love you and one time as her mother was about to die she said mom i love you and her mother said thank you so of course adonna was totally intuitive so when she said that story uh thank she said i love you adonna he said thank you and she went into a rage. <laughs> well, when I worked on her with uh, mind hacking, uh, she knew it, but she couldn't face it. She could not face the fact that her mother would never say, I love you. And 10 years later, I went back to visit her after a long absence, and she still had the same trauma. She never let it go. And uh, I've lost track of her now, so I don't know if she finally got over that or not. Some people go to the grave with their trauma and don't resolve it so and other people they resolve it just like that person and bingo she's now a uh, uh pretty much a celebrity she's on international radio shows as an astrologer as a dream interpreter things like that really, really wow. interesting good friend of mine wow that's so cool <laughs> so so anyway, the uh, many so-called physical diseases. Actually, 
100%. I've never found an exception to the rule. Now, I can't say that the, emo- the intellectual, the cognitive trauma causes it or which is first, but they're always connected. I've never found that exception to the rule where someone didn't have, if they had cancer, there was a per- there was a who involved. It always involves a who. Never, and it is so rare, like, and it would be like, uh, I tripped over a step and I'm gonna spend the rest of my life getting even with that step. Never happens. But your mother-in-law, your mother, your uh, your boss, I've seen that. I've seen people 60 years later still want to get even with someone or regret their death or like a death imprint or something like that and never get over it. So that's the difference. But easy to get over steps or or uh, falling off a cliff i'm gonna i'm i'm uh, on a war on cliffs i mean it happens but it's really really rare (laughs) yeah so some people if they don't if they don't so i guess it's different for everybody some people will just have to let it out yell scream i I read some in your book that yelling and screaming will help and some needs to go and give a hug or you know i guess it's different for everybody and you can yeah. also find that out when you're doing the that test too on the feet it, it will actually tell you what the best option is and one of the most remarkable things that uh, sometimes i would do sessions without uh, doing an official session i was in sedona and uh, my good friends brought me over to visit some friends who were house sitting and the husband wasn't interested in what i was doing but the wife uh, was really interested and i told her about left and right so she said well my uh left arm is out but i play the bass so wouldn't that just put it out but i had i had extra coffee that morning i guess so i was really observant and i was watching her body language anyway so i said that can be true but in your case it's not it's a trauma and if you want me to tell you what the trauma is i will and she said what i i said or tell me so i said it was a death imprint from the death of your father and she said oh my god my left arm is paralyzed (laughs) and now i realized hmm we've gotten to a place where i had to do something so i said you want me to work on you now so she said sure so she lay down on the floor and i started turning her feet and she said i know what the trauma is and i said no she said what do you mean no i said your feet didn't move at all but uh, tell me what it is just in case so she told me her idea of what it was and no and then she said now i know what it is and i said no (laughs) it uh what do you mean no your foot's not moving so then uh, a few minutes later her both feet tightened up like two by fours and I said, this is it, before she said anything. She said, yeah. My, uh, she had, her father had died, and she'd been the nursemaid. And then she had a guru that she replaced. Uh, she did the same thing for the guru while he died in Sedona. And what she said is, I nursed my father, and but the son of a bitch smoked and drank himself to death. And I got stuck with having to care for him 
So see how she had held that repression and suddenly her arm is unparalyzed. So that was what I call a successful deal. It not only got rid of her paralysis and her sore arm, but that was probably over now. I I never saw her again. They moved to Europe. But uh, uh, a lot of times when you get that final resolution and realize what the specific cognitive trigger event is, you get over it and then, then it's gone. So, Adano Lay, Swami Nidigritti, uh, my mentor on a lot of this, uh, he said that karma is, is an event that is not completing itself. So, all you have to do is complete. Like, if you said, I'm going to college and get a degree and you don't, you're going to have a trauma left over on it. Or, I'm going to move to Hawaii even and you don't do it. Like, that actually happened to a friend of mine. He didn't move to Hawaii when he promised he was. He had a trauma over it. Or, you actually change it where you, that's not practical, I'm going to do something else. That's hard to do though. People get stuck in those things and they feel bad about it and they will not forgive themselves. <laughs> it's not other people can forgive them, but they can't forgive themselves. So it becomes a, a, a biological forgiveness has to happen, not just a psychological one. Anyone can say, oh, I resolved it. With mind hacking though, it's like a meter. You turn the feet. Let's see if it's gone. Ah, it's not gone. You're still not over it. Otherwise, you can say, I did the brain tapping or whatever these various techniques are, and my trauma is gone because I feel better. But then you turn the feet, uh-uh, not gone. It'll come back. You may feel good today, but tomorrow may be another story. So that's really the advantage of mind hacking of all the techniques. And I've, I've been trained in a lot of these other techniques. They have holes in them where uh, many conditions fall through. Well, mind hacking uh, is actually uh, it, it pretty much fail-proof so far that I've found in all the decades I've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, can you do that on yourself too? You know, it's really hard because we tend to want to uh, we want to get our own reasons, rationalizations for why we did something. And there's a Sufi story about that. The uh, a Sufi, so, uh, a Sufi and his uh, his student are walking along, and they see, and the and the Sufi says, "You can uh, people's minds are set by the environment or by external uh, forces. What they think they're thinking are not really their thoughts." And the student said, I don't understand. He said, well, you see that man riding along with that camel down there on the road? What do you want me to make him do? You can do that? Yeah. Well, make him get off his camel. So the guy gets off his camel. Uh, make him pick up a rock and throw it into the into the bushes. He does. Uh, make him go pick up the rock and bring it back. He does. So they go down now to question the man. Why did you get off the camel? The camel was tired. Obviously, I got off. Why did you throw the rock into the bushes? I heard there were wolves around here, so I threw it in to protect myself from wolves. But why did you go pick the rock up again and bring it back? Well, when I picked up that rock, it felt a little heavier than usual. I thought there might be some rare, there might be some gold or something in it, actually. So I went back to see. 
So, so he thought he was having all these thoughts. That's the problem with interrogating yourself because we make up these stories and that's why we're still sick. If you come up with the correct story, you're well. So the trick is if you can body hack yourself or mind hack yourself, you will suddenly get well of your condition. So it can happen, but most people live in their own little world. That isn't true. You ever see someone that they hook up with someone and all of their friends know it's a bad relationship? But they're totally immersed in it. No, no, this this is the one. And then I've done this myself. And all my friends are like, oh, my God, here he goes again. And that's the dilemmas that we put ourselves in. So it takes two to tango and it takes two to mind hack to make sure that you have uh, an outside opinion. That's interesting. So when you say you hold the feet and you do the the eight uh, the the number eight sign, is that what you do? Yeah, actually, you turn it in a figure eight sideways figure eight, and and actually, you can just hold the feet and feel it. But there's advantages to turning it because you get amplitude. You get more. Uh, when a person has a thought that's negative, it makes it move more than it would if you're just holding it. And also, there's some tests you can do. Uh, you turn the feet of a person and you tell them to yawn. And many times you will dramatically feel both feet relax because we have something called uh, tone. That when we stand up, we don't fall over right away because we have this type of sympathetic tone in our body. Well, many people take that tone to a degree that they're really stove up. And you can tell right away they relax. Now, every once in a while, you will turn the feet and the person will tighten up when they yawn. And then you will know that they weren't allowed to relax as a child. Their parent probably had them signed up for martial arts and dance class and go to this after-school thing and astronomy club and whatever. And they weren't allowed to just sit and play with a stick or something like that, like George Carlin says. And uh, so that's one thing you can find out. Then you can also turn the feet and tell a person to stick out their tongue. If a person was – will usually relax people dramatically – and actually, it's a therapy to get to get well. In many conditions, just sticking out the tongue can even heal paralysis. That's been done. It's been known. But anyway, if you have a person stick out their tongue and it tightens up, you know they were punished for sticking out their tongue as a kid. And I've had two women pass out on me. I told them, stick your tongue out at me. One was standing up. I caught her before she hit the floor. I laid her down so she woke up. The other one was already lying down, so I just waited until she came to. And then we found out that she was punished severely for sticking her tongue out at one of the parents who beat the crap out of them, I guess. So that's the kind of things you can also find out. Another thing is many people – another test you can do with mind hacking – you can turn the feet and you tell a person to count from one to ten. And then you're turning the feet and you stop. And suddenly their feet are still moving. They're helping you with the turning. They're not totally relaxed. So those people don't really know how to relax. Many chiropractors will have a person, I'm going to hold your neck up. 
and they let go and they're still their neck is still up they're still <laughs> still up there that is it shows automatically you can't relax now when i do that i actually have a trick i say okay count from uh, one to a hundred in threes and twos three five eight ten uh thirteen fifteen etc usually then they can't keep track of their feet and their mind at the same time so it loosens up and then you know you can explain they're really tight some people are so good at math they can <laughs> you have to you have to be a math genius to beat them but it shows how many people are what it takes energy to walk around like this like that's metabolic energy that could be used for creativity for thinking for for physical exercise most people drain themselves of energy by just being too tight and you can tell if a person is too light too tight or too loose even if the feet tend to go this way with the toes pointing they're usually repressed if they go out they're depressed so there's so many tests you can tell from just the feet uh i was told by a friend i should call it bio back but here's the strange thing you get paid less if you work with the feet that's why our reflexologist will get maybe 35 dollars an hour while a cranial therapist can get as much as 135 dollars a half hour <laughs> the further you go toward the head the more your value goes up so i had a friend of mine that was a massage therapist i said don't put massage on your deal put cranial therapist or rolfer or something else nlp whatever because you'll get paid a lot le- a lot more and she did she see her friends couldn't figure out how they had gone to the same massage school but she was making two or three times more money on her session by just re-changing the name (laughs) do people still do this today is there like practitioners lots of them yeah there's schools uh sedona has therapy on the rocks where they do a type of rocking technique and then they have lots of cranial workers and i've gone up against cranial workers who said i can find the trauma so a person dave uh, we uh, uh, a medical doctor hooked us up to trade sessions so she said well i can tell that too a whole hour she couldn't tell anything about my traumas i got her down and within three minutes i found out she had a mother-in-law trauma and a mother trauma and within five minutes she was sobbing about it so so when you compare them and you actually do the physical comparison you'll find out how dramatic you can be and getting that energy out that crying that's been repressed is very important or even anger punching a pillow and whatever you have to do uh drama does not cure trauma necessarily but it's a great start and gets a person on the road because sometimes they really have to do to get a degree or move to hawaii or whatever and and even if they get it so they realize it was all a joke anyway and i've seen people do that too so it's whatever the person thinks they have to do and we really have a lot more options that we think but we say oh i'm living out my dreams but it's actually the parents dreams they really didn't want to go to college and everything like that and there's also a a a syndrome where people get stuck in the middle 
they want to live a good life and be like on the beach in Hawaii or in California. So how can I do that? I'll get the money by being a psychologist. So they do affirmations to be a psychologist. And then they get stuck with being a psychologist for the rest of their life and never get to the beach. While if they, if they just said, I want the, uh, the money or the beach, first of all, they'd skip the middle uh, deal. And one time this dramatically happened to me. I visited a friend of mine who was a therapist, and uh, I, she told me she'd give me her, uh, her album of how to do affirmations, but I, I wanted to support her work, so I paid for it. And I put it in on the way home. Uh, it was about 300 miles away. I was driving home, so I was going to listen to it. And as I listened to it, it was how to improve your job. <laughs> and I got two calls for work, and I thought, wait a minute. I don't want the work. I want the money. So I hung up and I did my own affirmations. And within the week, I had a check for $16,000. <laughs> so I didn't have to do any work. Now, I still did because I love to do mind hacking. But uh, but I realized that I don't want the business. I, I want the, the money. And then I do the mind hacking as fun because – Many people I mind hack on a bus, on a Greyhound bus when I used to travel a lot. You just meet somebody and they say, well, I have this problem. And then you read body language because you can read eyes and chin. And there's a whole bunch of things. Cheeks will lift, uh, twitches, all of these. But the feet, I have found, are the totally most accurate because if you have an injury or a problem with the, uh, the wrist or the ankle, is it the back or the front of the body? Is it left or right? And for physical injuries, it's reversed in the back to the front. But with mind hacking, you're always getting this one signal, so it's never fails. It's always 100%. Other places in the body, including the eyes, for some reason, I never get a total 100%. You can get the 80 or 90%, yeah, percent, and that's pretty good odds. <laughs> It is. Yeah, I read that um, you were talking about um, colors. You were talking about um, body language as well, and I thought they were all intriguing. I was going to ask you about that. So with the colors, you ask them, what color do you see when you, when you think of whatever their ailments are? And you can kind of tell, too, from that? Yep. Now, it's not 100% because you have to do an interpretation, but it gets you a really good start about traumas are. See, people react to colors. Uh, when you say, my opinion is colored, what does it mean? It means you're not clear. You're actually opaque or colored of a trauma. So we actually say, my view is colored. <laughs> and it's colored in the spectrum of the rainbow. So black is a father trauma, gray is a mother trauma, brown is an attachment trauma, red is a moving trauma or change of lifestyle, orange is sex, yellow is decision, green is resentment, blue is delusionment, uh, indigo is authority, but you like the authority, and violet, excuse me, purple is you don't like the authority and have an authority trauma, and violet is the authority tells you figure it out yourself trauma so all of those traumas white is completion by the way so and all of the shades have different 
ideas. So one time a guy came to me and he said, they tell me that you can uh, you can tell what traumas are uh, and, and by color. So uh, uh, before I get before I get a session with you, I, I want to know if uh, you to do that for me. I said, OK, what color do you think of? He said red. Now, I'd read his body language. So I said, uh, when did your girlfriend leave you? He said, sign me up. <laughs> she just did. <laughs> how did, how could you tell what was he doing to his his that? right eye his right eye yeah. one of the most dramatic ones i ever heard was i ever came across uh an artist friend of mine introduced me to an, another artist and, and a very unusual person but she invited us for dinner so we had dinner and she said she didn't like beets and just on a hunch, because I was watching her body language when she talked about her sister, I said, uh, what color do you think of when you think of that? She said, maroon. And I said, you have a problem. Uh, you have a trauma over that. She said, really? What is it? I said, uh, I said, your sister couldn't hold her pregnancy. And she said, are you psychic? Oh my God, that's the big trauma of my life. She lost, she lost her twins, and I was really closely attached to my my sister. I wasn't going to have kids, so she was having them for me. So she had twins, and then she finally had a childbirth, and the boy committed suicide, and it was her major trauma. In fact, after that, uh, she went to. Uh, she was convinced I was a psychic. But I said, I assure you, I'm not a psychic. I'm doing body language. And later, she took a trip to New York, and she had a terrible accident on her right side because she had this trauma with her sister having uh, not not being able to hold uh, uh, a pregnancy. And maroon is that kind. And those shades have a lot to do with pregnancy and celibacy and things of that nature and not being able to hold a pregnancy. So automatically that alone gives you a heads up on a, on a lot of uh, uh, traumas. But it doesn't give you the specific one. In that case, though, it was really exact. But I did do uh, mind hacking to see her right eye was continually going like, uh, uh, well, Ever see the uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, Golly, Scully and Mulder. What was that show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember yeah, mm-hmm. Mulder's uh, 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 right eye trauma all the time? Clunk, 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 clunk. No, I don't remember. It, it was so much. So she, she probably had a. a uh, in fact, I even forgot what eye it was now. But she had yeah, a trauma yeah. with that gender. Yes. It was so evident to me she would do that eye uh, uh, twitch about five times in a minute on the show so i was doing a workshop in el paso and the movie the movie was out there so we went to see it so we could watch her body language well they used cgi and cut it out i only saw it in two faraway scenes when they figured nobody would notice and so of course my students came up and said where was the body language? I said, they edited it all out. You're going to have to watch the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that eye twitch mean? 
Well, it, 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 and I twitch if, if, say, if you look at your friend Joe and say, uh, you got divorced, how's your ex-wife Jane doing? And they go, you know, it's not going well with them. And if you go to Jane and say, how's it going with Joe? And then it goes like this. If it goes the opposite, it's often the other woman. So you can tell a lot from that. I've, I've seen, I've watched interview shows. In fact, uh, since this is no secret, uh, I watched an interview recently with Elon Musk. And I, I told Susie, uh, he's got a really serious father trauma. Well, a biography is out now by him, an approved biography by Elon Musk. And he's never been able to forgive his father for the things that his father did. And so it's not like a, a secret. Everybody knows, except I didn't at the time. I saw it clearly. If you look at his left eye, you'll see it react tremendously. And he's, he's got even got PTSD or shell shock, whatever you want to call it, over his father. And... Uh, uh, and uh, Asperger's syndrome as well. Uh, but I, if I turned his foot, I could find out the exact details. So he's been really forthright about it in his biography where he's told the whole story. <laughs> wow. So I forget. So did you say, um, what's her name? Not Mulder, but the the girl. At, yeah, but yeah, the uh, uh, let's see, Dana Scully. 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 Yeah, Dana Scully. So was it her? I don't remember either. I do remember her eye does twitch. I remember mentioning that to my husband before. And was that her father then? Did she have father? Or a mother, depending, because I don't remember which eye it was I now. And I watched the show a lot back in the day. You know, you couldn't Me get too. away from it. My friends would watch it. <laughs> and so I, I saw it right away because uh, I had already been trained in left-right uh, business back in the 70s. So by the time the show came along, I saw it really clearly. And uh, But somebody uh, somebody was a massage therapist in Sedona told me that she had traumas, but she didn't know how to, to check it out and everything. Uh, she actually said she didn't have a very pleasant encounter with her at the time. But wow. I don't know. But I, it was a good show. It was a good show. There was some good writing. Yeah, it was interesting, especially back then. I didn't start watching it till very recently, probably within the 10 years. So I didn't watch it when it was popular. Um, but yes, it's very interesting. Um, I know that in her new show or the new, I guess the new series that they had, I think it was a flop and I don't think it, it continued on, but she was wearing a wig with that because hmm. she had lost so much hair. So I wonder if that's all part of the same trauma. Might be. And see, with mind hacking, you would know. Because many people have come with mysteries. They can't figure out what's going on. And and to show how complicated it can get, I had a person that was uh, almost 90 years old, 86, 88, somewhere like that. And she was a death therapist. And what had happened is when she was 18, her, let's see, yeah, her son had died. Now, I found her right foot was the trauma. Over her son dying, she had studied with Kubler-Ross, had studied death therapy, and devoted her entire life for like 60 years working with people on deaths. 
And when I turned her right foot, it turned out that her mother wouldn't give her the money for holistic therapy. And she blamed her mother for her son's death all that time and didn't know what the trauma was. So she was shocked to find out that and realize that it was true. So she was treating the wrong trauma for 60 years, the primary trauma. Of course, the, the trauma did show up, but the main one was not forgiving her mother for not giving her the money for the type of therapy she wanted to do on her son and believing that the son could have been saved, which is possible with our medical system, could have been saved with the, an alternate method. That's how it can tell you that many people think I know my trauma and then spend their life uh, uh, due to the wrong trauma and they could be much more productive if they knew the whole story instead of just the narrow part that we go through. And the narrow part is the colors of the spectrum, of course, instead of seeing the entire spectrum to be transparent of a trauma. Think of the word transparent beyond the parents, because we inherit many. We often a man often marries his mother and a uh, and a woman often their father or the anti father or the anti mother to be opposite. And uh, I've seen both cases. I've done it myself. So uh, you see these type of traumas that we live out our sibling rivalries with sisters and brothers and with fathers and mothers and uh, and then we just basically carry it on unknowingly of course we don't know we're doing that and we deny it yet the Oedipal complex the electric complex all this stuff Freud Freud was really on to something he knew the sex and death trauma Adler knew the power trauma and then the change trauma is the other one like change is a big thing when people I call it the philodendron uh trauma i i worked as a delivery person for a nursery one time or a flower shop and it's well known that if you take a philodendron and move it to one side of the room the leaves will fall off it doesn't like to move well a lot of us have traumas and uh, with moving traumas and change of lifestyle we change jobs all the time or we won't let go of it it can be work either way and that's a red trauma and if you look at a traffic light what does the red light tell you stop so it, it 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 a red trauma shows you you have trouble moving or or you have to keep moving to work on a trauma of change of lifestyle or moving that's where the colors come in really handy too and of course turning the feet you find out the specifics your father moved at one time or you went back to visit your parents in illinois and when you came back your back went out or you had a you had an accident because you missed them and really wanted to be back there with them or wanted them out in california with you i've found those specific traumas before <laughs> that's incredible that's really incredible and it doesn't take long you said to figure this out that you can kind of learn this you know the funny thing is some people I've worked with chiropractors and body workers, and sometimes they're harder because they have a deal. All you have to do is feel the foot jump. So uh, I have someone, uh, a really good friend, went to a workshop and said, I went to this guy, and they paid 600 bucks for it, by the way, and said, they said that the left is female and the right is male, and you're the only one that's saying it. I said, first of all, I'm not. 
in Chinese space reading, it's clearly left and right. And in, in American Indian sclerology, it's left and right because it's the front of the body. Only in polarity therapy and American psychology is it the other way. And in the ancient Vedas, they had it the opposite too. But can we do an experiment? She said, sure. So I knew her husband had a mother trauma. So I said, will you lie down on the floor? Sure, because he was really interested in this stuff. So I had her turn the feet or just hold the feet and i said uh how's your mother doing and she said his right foot jumped and i kind of sarcastically said is his mother a man or a woman <laughs> <laughs> and then i said you know uh if i hold my eyeglasses out at that time i needed eyeglasses <laughs> that's been fixed uh i said if you read in 50 books that when you let go of the eyeglasses, they go to the ceiling, and 50 that they go to the floor, drop the eyeglasses and see for yourself. If you're in outer space, there might be the exception to the rule. But you know then, in, in, instead of reading in a book, do it and find out for yourself. And that's the beauty of mind hacking because all the books will say this and that and all kinds of things, but this way you know and the person is the best therapist. They know more than Carl Jung or Freud or anyone like that because they're playing statistics. And one final story about that. One time uh, I, I had a friend, and it turned out that he had what I've called uh, sowing your wild oats forgiveness trauma might be a name for it. He had been kind of a single guy, having fun all of his life, and then he felt guilty about it later. I found it while doing his body, uh, and it was on the right side, so it was a mother trauma. Maybe his mother said, you know, you shouldn't be fooling around like that. Well, we went to a metaphysical bookstore the next day, and there was a book by Carl Jung. So I opened it up, and it had that exact trauma that men when they get to be 40 which this person was would start to regret their past life and it was a mother trauma so i became fascinated with that and i worked on 10 people nine of them followed young's pattern one actually had a father trauma the father was the one that uh, made the sowing of the wild oats come true so the thing about mind hacking you can go even beyond people who know a heck of a lot more than i do or that that the person who's doing the mind hacking does but they now see for sure they can tell individually instead of reading a cookbook solution about this always means and many of these uh, uh cognitive or emotional trauma patterns they have a book it says here, German New Medicine says this. Uh, this says this right here. But they can't tell for sure because they're just playing a game of statistics. And it can help, but it's not going to get the exact trauma of the exact person that you're finding the specific trauma and the cause and the time and the event and what to do about it as well. I don't know any other technique that does that. <laughs> no. But it seems like with the uh, the nitty gritty, your your friend, he could he knew things just by telling him stuff. He would know the trauma. He actually uh, 
he knew that we're all holograms of each other, so he just became the person. It's like I studied with the Taoist master called uh, Wu Dang Chen, and he said, uh, when you fight, if you become your enemy, they can't win. Uh, and said, you become the sword in their own scabbard. So another friend of mine said, well, what happens if you meet a person who's, uh, who's equally qualified? Peaceful warrior. <laughs> there's no fight because there's nothing to fight about anymore. <laughs> so the same thing. Uh, Adonel could uh, – he had – now, he could have used a technique too because he taught me the color technique and he taught me a lot about the left and right. Uh, I stumbled on this accidentally as a way to get to what he was doing in some unidentified way. Because if you had a black trauma, he could tell it was your older brother and specifically what would happen and things like that. Very specific traumas. He told uh, another therapist one time, uh, you're, you have this trauma because uh, – as a kid, you like to walk around naked, and your mother didn't like you doing that. And very specific, exact traumas of things. And even uh, you would give him two or three colors, and he would give you an exact scenario of what happened. And just a remarkable degree, remarkable degree. So he had something that uh, uh, what mind hacking is, is for someone who doesn't have those abilities like me, to go and then uh, find out mechanically with a meter that could follow up and and validate it. But yeah, he had something special. He de definitely did. <laughs> he certainly, yeah. The stories that you would tell and I, the things that I read was amazing. It's, it was like he was psychic. Oh, he, he definitely was. Now, he said you go to meditation and the psychic comes. But when people go for psychic, they get in trouble. But if you, but he said you can't avoid it once you get it. And to show you how powerful his body language were, was, uh, I think I don't remember if this is in the book or not. It's in one of my books. Uh, we would go to a restaurant to eat breakfast, and we had prunes and things on the solar menu. Well, we would play what we called body language 101. Like, uh, why did the waitress turn this way when she served us the food? Because when she, when her mother was in the womb, she was slapped in the face by her husband, <laughs> and that picked up from the womb. And then we see a guy, what's that guy over there with the beard? What's his trauma? Well, he has a beard. That's a father trauma. And to validate it, he, if you look closely, he's drinking his milk and his water. No, his milk with his right hand and his coffee and his water with his left hand. Now, how do you instantaneously know that? We had to watch that guy for 10 minutes to find out. Indeed, he drank his milk with his right hand and his coffee and his water with his left hand. <laughs> That's the kind of uh, thing he could do instantaneously. And even sometimes he would present what the trauma was as a poem as a like a pre-written poem he would read off i've i've seen him do that numerous times so and he learned that by himself through meditation meditation he claims he uh he uh, became uh, actually he said he came into the world with that ability like he could actually stop people in their tracks but his father had a guru and told him, don't do that, because the guru would know what he was up to. He said he would, as a kid, 
someone would be, would be walking in front of him and he would just stop him in his tracks and then he would go past him and stick his tongue out of him and walk past him until he, he was able to regain. And in studying mesmerism, this is common. People have done that. I wrote a book called Mesmerism and Miracles where people actually did this. But anyway, his dad said, that's not a good thing to be doing anymore. And so he didn't. So then he studied. He was an altar boy and he studied with a priest who said, uh, you're a, uh, you're not really said to be a priest. You're a mystic. So he went home to his father and said, uh, uh, the father said, I'm a mistake. <laughs> he said, well, then, then his father said, well, then be a Buddhist. <laughs> but anyway, the father turned out to have a library of theosophy and other books not approved usually by the Catholic Church. So he let Adano study in that library as a child before he came to the U.S. And after that, he met the right people, Yogananda, and became enlightened, actually. And there's no doubt that he was enlightened because after studying with him for 14 years and seeing virtual miracles I could I could actually we could have a show for 24 hours and I could go one after another of the things I saw him do that are not supposed to be possible so he had a whole other thing going on he could touch people and heal them kind of thing that kind of thing, yeah, or know their or, or know what they were thinking like uh, like one time uh, one time uh, he was coming to visit me, and so three o'clock in the morning was very special to him. So, and rain was special. So rain hit my roof, and I looked at the clock, and it said three o'clock. So I went to the phone, and I picked, the, I held my hand on the phone, and the phone rang right away. I said, "Hello, Adano." He said, "Yeah, I'm here. Come and get me." So I was in a mobile home park, and I would drive down to lead him into how to get in there. So then three months go by. He came every three months. And three months later, uh, rain hits my roof. It's exactly three, exactly three, zero, zero on the clock. And I've held my hand on the phone. Hello, Adano. Yeah, come and get me. This time he brought a friend named Ginger. And Ginger said, are you doing something to make him come at a certain time of day? Well, maybe I am kind of programming it. He said, I don't, I wouldn't do that. He usually, he had a thing about driving 60 miles an hour no matter what. And if I was driving and go 61, his head would pop up. He knew I was doing it. So she said, he drove like a bat out of hell. I said, I've never seen him do that. You shouldn't do that. So I didn't. So the next time nothing happened. The next time it turned out my mother had cancer and I wanted her to have a special uh, miracle, I'll put it that way. So the morning that he was supposed to come was a Saturday, and I got the message from him somehow at, at, early in the morning that, no, he was coming Friday. So I went to my mother and I said, he's not coming Saturday, he's coming Friday, and he's bringing the rain. And she said, he said he's coming Saturday. That's silly. So I was someplace that evening, Friday, and suddenly a cloudburst hit the roof of the mobile home my mother lived in. And there's a knock on the door. And it's Adano. <laughs> and of course, she said, well, I, I wasn't there. But uh, so he went somewhere else at that point. But he, she got to see him and know that that happened. So that's the kind of 
things I can go on and on with stories like that that he was connected with. It's <laughs> incredible. Did he have something that he liked with threes? It was like yeah, everything had to be threes. He even had threes. Yeah, he even had three navels. <laughs> Two were surgically put in. Yeah, really weird. What? Everything three, always three. You had to. You had to. Uh, uh, like one time on a plane, someone was having a heart attack, and they said, "Is anyone?" Uh, they couldn't find a doctor. Does anyone know anything about first aid? He didn't say a word. Does anyone know anything about first aid? Not a word. Does anyone know anything about first aid? His hand goes up. <laughs> so then he comes forward and saves the guy from a heart attack and found out what the trauma was. Uh, they had an ambulance waiting for him, but he saved his life. And the guy, the guy uh, uh, said, I'm going to give me your address. And he sent him a $1,000 check for saving his life. <laughs> so he would have this three thing and the most one of the most remarkable things that ever happened with Adano is we went to see a Swami called Nata Bravananda who could uh, who actually could sing through his tailbone and could be in a vacuum chamber for a half hour without any breath the monkey would die kind of a cruel experiment the candle would go out and he would be fine a half hour later so we went to see this great man I'm sitting next to Adana Lay, and the Swami was going to do an experiment where he was going to hold a silver dollar on his forehead throughout the entire concert he was going to play, and it was going to stay there by his sonics holding it onto his forehead. So he said, does anyone have a silver dollar? Does anyone have a silver dollar? Does anyone have a silver dollar? Adana's hand goes up. <laughs> He walks up, hands him the silver dollar, the Swami thanks him, and he goes down. Now, he explains what he's going to do. Then he looks down and can't find the silver dollar. So he's looking all over. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's gone. He said, does anyone else have a silver dollar? Does anyone else have a silver dollar? Does anyone else have a silver dollar? Adonis' hand goes up. <laughs> now the Swami looks at him like glares at him like hmm and and he takes the silver dollar and he says you over there and he puts him on the stage and he and, and Adano uh, is on one knee he looked like a, a scene out of West Side Story or something the way he had a jacket on and everything and he's on the stage for the entire performance we asked Adano later and he said the Swami realized there was someone else in Delta in the room at that time, and that's why he put him up on the stage. So, what does that mean? Well, if you're in Delta, you're in you're in touch with all the other Swamis in the entire world, and you know what they're doing, and you can tell. They have a communication with the eyes, and I've actually talked to Adano with eyes, and I had a girlfriend that didn't even like Adano, but he would talk to her all the time with the eyes, and she would be really disturbed about it. She said, he doesn't have to say anything. He's talking to me with his eyes. I said, a lot of people have had that experience. I've had it rarely, but, uh, but uh, she uh, had it dramatically and didn't even like him. <laughs> <laughs> what was he saying to her? Well, she, she just didn't like, like his – thing is as as a as a swami and uh, there's another case i had another girlfriend that didn't like him and one time 
he found her trauma. She always had a migraine on a Thursday. And it turned out that she left her boyfriend on that day. And uh, and uh, he said, the person who leaves has the trauma. The person who sticks it out doesn't have the trauma. And so then it relieved her headache went away after that. But at one point, she was just sitting there looking kind of, you know, like uh, looking kind of strange. And I was there to see this. And uh, he said, right now, uh, what do you want to tell me? You want to tell me something? Tell me whatever you want to tell me. It, it won't offend me. Just tell me what you want to tell me. And uh, she said, I want to learn to like you, Adonis. That's how she said it. And he said, he took her up in his arms and he rocked her and he said, I'm really mean outside to people for a reason, but inside I'm an itty bitty baby. And she started sobbing. And I got some tears out of me too on that one. The way he said that, inside I'm an itty bitty baby. It was just amazing. That's the kind of thing that would happen around him. On, on an ongoing basis, a daily basis, you would see these, they experience these things. <laughs> did he like your girlfriends or did he not like them as well? Don't know. <laughs> she didn't like him. She never did like to get to like him. <laughs> she was initially. No, she, uh, she, uh, and, and believe me, he had girlfriends. It wasn't like he was celibate. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, not that one, and not my other one. <laughs> and did he um, ever tell you he didn't like your girlfriends? No, no, never yeah. said anything. He liked everybody. <laughs> but he would sometimes treat people rude. But he would do it for a reason. He see, he didn't say something to to be smart about something. He did something to have an effect. And a lot of times. Uh, I often thought about that later. One time, a bunch of us were ordering a meal solar, and we drove the waitress so crazy, she she didn't come back. And so finally, the manager comes up and said, I think your waitress just quit. I think she walked out the door about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I said, okay. But I often wondered. I thought, maybe she went on to be a movie star. You know, maybe we helped her. But who knows? You know, the, the ways of karma are unfathomable, as Maharishi Mahesh Yogi said. So who knows what reaction? So he would often be mean to certain people for certain reasons. So they would do certain things that they wouldn't have done before or even be driven away. So, so uh, I figured he knew what he was doing, and I I watched him with humor. I would bring people and say this to show how great uh, they were. He was, and uh, the person least likely would love him, and the person I thought was going to go crazy over him hated him. So, so it was amusing, and it was almost like everything I did was backwards to uh, prove some kind of point of metaphysics. So I learned a lot from bringing people to him. <laughs> wow. Did um did he speak with an accent? Yeah, he had an accent, but it seemed to get more accenty as time elapsed almost like it was a 
something he was uh, manufacturing. In his early tapes, there's cassette tapes available, and he's on the internet, and you can tell he has less of an accent. And Oh, a perfect example. I told this one lady about him, and I thought she's really going to like him. So she comes there, and she was overweight. So he starts doing reflexology. She says, what's that? I said, reflexology. I said, just watch. So he's doing it. But suddenly he says, the trouble with Americans is they're too damn fat. And he says it really <laughs> loud. And I see her go like this. So she goes outside. And I went to Adano and said, uh, you just drove her out the door. And he said, no, I didn't. She's out, she's out having to smoke. I said, how do you know that? He said, her lips were blue. I said, what? So I peeked out that he always had everything closed up. He wanted to create his own world in his clinic. So I look out. There they are, smoking cigarettes out in the car, her and her girlfriend. And they came back in after a while. <laughs> but she didn't really like them. <laughs> I would say not. I wonder if that made her thinner later. Could on. have. See, oh, oh yeah, here. Uh, there's so many stories. A really obese lady who was a famous opera singer. And her husband was, too. Her husband could hold a note longer than anyone else in history, something like that. Well, they came to his workshop, and he mentioned he looked at her and said, once I was big like you. And she went on a rave, and she had been coming to my workshops regularly. Every week I had a class, and she was regular. She went ballistic and went crazy where someone said, can you please do this on your own time? You're taking up class time. So she shut up, never came back. So uh, um, six, three months went by where I never saw her. And uh, he comes back in town and I would go to work and open the health food store. I would take over about 12 o'clock at noon. So as I'm going to do that, he follows me to the door. He says, you ever seen that uh, big lady? And I said, no, I think I think you drove her out. Uh, he said, well, I think if you see her, she's going to be happier than she was ever before. I said, okay. So I go to work, and I'm not even there an hour. And she comes dancing in, looking like Jackie Gleason doing ballet. La, 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 la. How are you? And she buys a drink and walks out the door. And I thought... Well, I went and told them she's happier than I've ever seen her before, but she didn't explain why or anything. She just came in, danced in, la, 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 got her drink, paid for it, and walked out the door with a big Did smile on her wait? face. No, still as big as before. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I, I read where you said um, about the weight gain. Sometimes people uh, gain weight because... Um, animals, I guess, they have other means to puff up to get uh, to scare other animals or to get aggressive, and we just get goosebumps. So instead, we we eat to, I guess, to show our anger or whatever to to show that. Um, that's that was I thought very interesting. If you look at most people who throw their weight around that are CEOs of companies. <laughs> They're pretty big guys. Uh, every once in a while, you get someone maybe like Bill Gates, who is not overweight or something, or Elon Musk. But a lot of them, I, I've, I've met a lot of CEOs and people like that. They're 
big guys, <laughs> really big guys and overweight. And uh, they throw their weight away. They, otherwise, you, uh, you're a, a lightweight, they even say. So we unconsciously take this language in and make it more weight so you can be powerful. And a lot of women particularly are put in charge of the household because of the older sister and they have what they call big mama syndrome because they're responsible for taking care of the kids and to be able to take care of their sisters they gain more weight so that they can so they can be respected as a, as big mama uh, for the kids so or big nurse even in that movie so you get that kind of traumas happen and other ways to protect yourself one woman told me uh a good friend of mine, actually, that that she was afraid she would cheat on her husband if she was better looking, and women and men were paying attention to her, so she kept herself fat, and she was—I wouldn't call her obese, but she was definitely pudgy, and her, her husband was madly in love with her too. So they had a really good relationship. But that's the different kinds of things I found in mind hacking. You find out exactly. What? Why they hold on weight? Why they're underweight or overweight or whatever? And those are highly adjustable. I've met bodybuilders who gain a hundred pounds to power lift and then lose a hundred pounds to body to be a bodybuilder every year. Now that's really tough on the body, but I learned about weight control from bodybuilding and from NASA. Because one half a pound makes a difference in outer space. So I realized that they knew the really nitty gritty about weight loss and gain and how to do it. And so do bodybuilders because they have to peak for a show and know exactly how to do it. So I learned a lot about nutrition from that and a lot about trauma, how that works too. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Um, and I read in your book that you were, well, I don't know if you were married more than this, but you said on your fifth marriage. <laughs> that was, that was five legal ones and two, and two we pretended we were married. <laughs> I was just like, Adam. <laughs> yeah. So maybe so in, so in the state of Texas, I might still be married because we signed in as Mr. and Mr. on numerous occasions and even rented apartments under that name back in the day. Uh, yeah, it's not like they ask you for a marriage certificate or anything like that. Nope, so. nope. <laughs> Actually, when I got into Transcendental Meditation on February 14th, 1970, we decided we'd tell everybody we were married on that day, too. So that's how we, that came about. And interesting enough, that particular fake wife was kind of a guru of mine. <laughs> she She's the one, I, I don't know if in any of your books you read about the one who squeezed the light bulb and went like that and they didn't have a scratch where we were having an argument in Santa Barbara we had moved here in 1970 or 71 I think something like that and uh, and she was holding a light bulb so I was I was disturbed that she would uh, uh, hurt herself she looked at the light bulb she looked at me and saw what I was thinking so she went and she took the light bulb and put it up between my eyes and went clicks and then she went and drove the shards into her skin but none of them stuck and they all went then she held up both of her hands and said god protects me mf <laughs> i won't say it here but you get the idea <laughs> and Why and there wasn't a scratch <laughs> now 
I told Adonawa about that. How did she do that? Oh, that's easy. Is it easy for you? To this day, every time I get a glass cut, I get angry because. <laughs> now, did my she really thing. Hurt you? What? Did she really hurt you when she did that? No, she didn't hurt me. She just said oh. she was only going to crush it in front of me to show me that she was immune to that deal and she had those abilities she really did have powerful abilities she was uh she was a promoter of maharishi became one of those flyers which are really hoppers she it was very dramatic she could she could be in a total lotus position and hop for four feet boom boom across the living room so i have no idea how she did it because after she did that i went into a tailor position and i couldn't even get a half an inch you know i shoved myself forward so uh maharishi taught her something there <laughs> yeah she's a very unusual person and kind of a master of synchronicity so i learned about synchronicity particularly to her and then i learned that i could do that too so i i do have uh, a lot of synchronous experiences that happen all the time so i do have that ability that's pretty cool i guess she was like i think those chinese monks they can withstand those like sticks being jabbed at them and all kinds of things like that and they don't get hurt either i mean pointed spears that they you know they sit there and you stab them in their abdomen i yeah, I've seen shows like that. I don't know how they do that. Uh, Wu Dang Chen is the person to ask because he's experienced that. He comes from Wu Dang in China. He's the official uh, representative for the country of China for Wu Dang because it's a World Heritage uh, Center. And as a boy, he was brought there at six years old uh, to study from 16 every day. And they had to basically do torturous exercise, hit trees so they bled. And they had, they were blindfolded and they threw sweet potatoes at them. Then they had to dodge them with their eyes closed. And then eventually knives and daggers were thrown at them. <laughs> and they had to dodge them. So uh, Wu Dang Chen is like uh, something out of one of those... Uh, what were the name of those movies that flying tiger whatever those movies were he comes right out of that as a legendary character and i got to hang out with him luckily because my buddy and his wife bought a ranch and they put me as kind of the watchman so i could get free rent and just hang out at this 640 acre ranch well chen did workshops there so he came right to the front door and i got to take all these workshops with this uh obvious wudang master and he really is a master one of the most unusual people I've, I've met in my life so i've been very lucky to meet people uh like that i've met four or five of them like that and uh, what whatever the karma is or why ever i've been lucky enough to do that i have no idea but i've enjoyed it <laughs> Wow. Is that um, gentleman still alive today? Oh, yeah. He's still teaching. Yeah. He's a remarkable what? person. Yeah. Is he? How old is he? Uh, now, I think when I met him, he was only in his 20s. <laughs> and he was uh, and he could read my mind, too, by the way. Like, I'll tell you one, one time. And this makes me wonder when masters are tuned in, even after they leave. Because at one time he was showing a diagram of the waste. And in, let me see, now in 
1977, Adama showed me a chart like that. And I said, what's that? And he said, that you have a sympathetic nervous system and a, and a parasympathetic and martial artists have one in the waist that goes like an infinity sign. And he wouldn't tell me anymore. So I started studying the enteric nervous system, all kinds of things because I was fascinated with that. Well, I'm at the ranch listening to him describe it now. And he's a martial artist, right? So he's describing it. And I suddenly get really excited. I said, oh, my God, this is what Adana wouldn't show me. Chen read my mind. He turned to me and said, ah, Adam is is uh how did he wait adam has been waiting for this information for 30 years <laughs> and i said exactly 1977 to 2007 30 years and then he said it's funny i haven't taught this stuff in in for that long and then three days later i'm in the shower and i realized wait a minute his master had sent him, he was 10 years old at that time, had sent him across China with summer clothes to survive in the winter for three months without dying and walk across China. And he had almost starved to death, was saved by one egg. And one egg is Paramatra Adano's story. So I realized he wasn't even teaching anything there. What was he talking about? Was he a Dono in some kind of way? Were they are they linked? Are they the same person? So to this day, I don't know. But he did other things too. He read my mind uh, uh, several times, several times. Wow. <laughs> well, and he's still teaching in still in still teaching. And I have friends that have seen him take fifty foot leaps and things like that. That I didn't get to see that, but I saw some. I at one time he said that. Uh, he was he had expert martial artists and i was end up end up taking his tai chi uh, professional workshop because i was at the ranch right so i got to take it well anyone he would have them put their their hands on him and at the time they were going to push or do something aggressive on him and as soon as they before they could even move he would put a finger on them and paralyze them so he saw me saying, wow, is that for real? And then he said, Adam, your turn. <laughs> so I said, well, I get to experience this. So I went to push him. And just when I was going to push him, he sticks his finger in my rib. And I was totally paralyzed. I couldn't move. And then he said, OK, do it again. And this time I was trying a different strategy. He put his finger in a different place and paralyzed me. So it's the real deal. I After him, it it is inconceivable that she doesn't exist and that these powers are really there and that people can read your thoughts before they happen and he is definitely still alive and still taking students mostly in colorado but he travels back and forth to china on and on he's also a multi-businessman all kinds of other things he does he's a remarkable man you can now his internet Inter interviews because he's got a lot of videos up aren't that interesting and he said that there's a pocket chin and a dvd chin and they're two different people but you can still learn a lot from his uh, remarkable videos but when you meet this guy in person uh he is uh, one of the most dramatic 
people and fun people to be around that you can possibly imagine. Yeah, I, I, it, all of the workshops I got to take out at that ranch and other workshops I've taken with him elsewhere, uh, it's just remarkable, remarkable man from from outer space. <laughs> What's his name again? Uh, he goes by the name of Master Wu Dang Chen. And uh, his Chinese name is Yun Xiang Tseng. <laughs> okay. His master okay. lived to 130. And at one point, when bandits attacked, she broke into his private dwelling up, up the wall and beheaded them. <laughs> and later, when the communists took over, uh, they kept beating her up and dragging her away from the monastery, and she kept crawling back. And finally, after they had crippled her quite a bit, the Chinese soldiers got compassion and let her alone. So ever after that, she was crippled and she would do martial arts in a uh, or Tai Chi in a sitting position and still was Chen's teacher. When she was a certain age, she told another master at Wudang, my student is in the province of so-and-so, like 2,000 miles away, go get him. And so... He shows up and he's doing martial arts and Chen was some kind of a boyhood psychic. So at six years old, he sees this man moving the leaves on the trees in the distance by doing Tai Chi. And he says, I want to learn that. He said, well, you're the one I'm here to pick up. Let's go. They got permission from his parents, walked most of the way back the 3,000 miles, except I think they got a couple of rides. And then he was a student from six years old to 16 till he went on and was told to get a college degree and everything in literature and things of that nature and and then to learn other things and then was sent to uh to further uh the the cause of Wu Dang in the United States which he is doing he is the official uh Wu Dang uh master for the U.S. Wow. <laughs> remarkable how long has he been in America? Let's see. He he escaped China like out of a with a a twenty four hour sword fight, leading a bunch of people out of China. It was a really adventurous thing through these countries. And when he came to the United States, he got a job at McDonald's, <laughs> and he learned English by watching the news on TV. Uh, he was so good. He did the work of three people, and he said, I did Tai Chi. They offered him the job of going to China and opening the largest McDonald's in the world, and he was going to be the manager of it. He was so good. And he said, no, I'm here to teach martial arts, to teach Tai Chi and promote Wu Dang. So then he got a small amount of students, had things enlarged, and pretty soon he bought property in Colorado, and now he does a, a variety of things. But he's he's an amazing human being, and an amazing uh, he he doesn't like to do uh, martial arts anymore. He does Tai Chi, but Tai Chi is very competitive too. He he said that his master could hit a person in the stomach, knock him fifty feet, and they would be alive. But 
but he said he can do it, but he he won't do it because he killed a person. He can't make them alive, just say alive at that point. So he said uh, there's degrees of master, and I'm still working on my final masterhood, whatever that – they call it the immortals in Chinese uh, literature. But I can guarantee you he's the most – one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met in my life. And I was privileged to be right there with him at the ranch, and I was the one responsible for turning on the lights in the morning and turning everything off and that kind of thing for him. So he let me do the workshops for nothing. Wow. How long did you live there for? A uh, year and a half, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you took a lot of classes with him. Did. Did. He keep, he keep, I think I had about six of the nine-day workshops, and then I took those small ones in between. And plus, hung out with him. You know, we went to dinner with him. He uh, he drove my friend's uh, uh, Hummer like a wild man. It scared the heck out of my friend. He did it deliberately just to to to. He loved to, uh, I guess, uh, freak people out. <laughs> How old is this guy? About now he's. Let's see if he. When I met him, he was only in his twenties. I I imagine he's. Is he even forty now? I guess. Let's see. When did I meet him? That young? Yeah, he's, he's young. I would. He can't be fifty yet. I don't think he came to the United States when he was like twenty or something. Uh, there are some interesting martial arts pictures of him when he did do martial arts because he could do some of that too. Uh, let's see. How old was he? I used to know. I would guess he's in his 40s now, in maybe his late 40s, maybe, maybe. Hmm. Wow, he got pretty far pretty fast coming here. Yes, he did. He did. Wow. He got he got a bunch of students in Long Island and then uh, down in Florida particularly, and then it kept going. Then he kept on going back to China to, uh, to, to do uh, workshops there. And he even ran a school here in uh, California for a while, but it it didn't work out. And he was supposed to do a school in China, and that didn't work out. Didn't suit what he was going to do. And his job mainly was his master set him to promote Taoism in the West. And uh, I've done partly my part because I got him an interview with. Uh, uh, with Patrick Chimponi at one time where there's a show still posted on one radio network you can hear him and uh, who knows maybe you can I can give you an address you can contact him and maybe he'll do a show with you He's, he might be open to it I, I haven't talked to him now for a while I haven't bothered him though this year about about this time six years ago when we were evacuated Susie got very sick with the flu and that's the last time I talked to him I said help me and she started getting better after I talked to him uh, and uh, other things were involved too but she was really really sick uh, at that time at this year and uh, and so out of desperation I hadn't talked to him for a while that's the last time I talked to him on the phone Wow. Though I follow him indirectly, I, I made a lot of his students became friends of mine, and we're still friends. So I, I pretty well keep up on what he's up to. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Um, so I wanted to um, to re reiterate your, I guess it's your cornerstone technique. Is, isn't that what you call it? Yep. Um, so the <laughs> left front is men. Or it's, it's it's a trauma from a man. Yep. And the left back would be from a woman. Woman. 
Now here, right? Mm, go ahead. I, I was going to say, here's the simple thing: when you're turning the feet, you're reading. You're on the right foot, but you're reading the left back because motor movements come from the back. But you don't have to figure this out because it can get kind of complicated. Just like with computers, you see Susie, vibrant gal, is the one who does all of that. I can't even figure it out. So you don't have to know this. All you have to know is that if you get a movement on the on the right foot, it's going to be a female, and on the left foot, it's going to be a, a male. So you can tell automatically that way. And uh, you don't have to know any of that. But it helps later as you study. You can figure all this kind of how it works crisscross. Because people say, uh, what about the brain? This side controls this side and all that. It's only partially true. And the trick is, where does the brain begin? Right here. That's where the conception meridian, which is the brain, meets the... Uh, the front meridian, the, con- the conception meridian meets the brain governor meridian. It's a it's an important point. Yeah, yeah exactly. The the lip, which is a which is a point. Actually, if you have someone that's really sick, you can press that point, but you have to be behind them because they're going to throw up to get well. <laughs> it's a it's a very important point right between the lip, and it's the dividing line between where the, con- the the conception meridian rises, and so does the brain governor, but it comes across. So basically, the brain governor is in the back of the body. The back of the body starts right here at the nose, according to some authorities here, but basically it's, it's still the brain that is uh, involved. So... Uh, so all of this theory is interesting to learn, and it, I have put it in my books because some people want to know more, and there's a lot more to to uh, uh, mind hacking than just the cornerstone technique. There's lip reads, uh, eye reads, cheek reads, finger reads. All of the hands actually have an effect. If a person has a death trauma, they'll tuck their thumb, and uh, you can tell right away that there's either a death trauma or someone has put them under their thumb so you can do that too but 80 percent of what i do can be done right from the feet so that's for the average person the rest if they want to study i have plenty of books on all that information too it's just that that you're not going to learn in a weekend with mind hacking's cornerstone technique you have to practice so and the best way is for a person not to put themselves out for a therapist, say, I learned something at a party and say, you want to be an experiment? You turn your feet. Tell me what's bugging you. And then at first, it's you're not going to feel it's sensitive on some people. Like I had a friend called Carol Crosby. It took 20 minutes. She was the longest of anyone to find. And when I found the trauma, she'd say, okay, we're done, because she didn't want me to go any further. <laughs> when her mother died, I turned her feet and found her right away, because now she had a right-side trauma. So if you do enough people, some people have tried, and they just try it with one person, and it didn't work out. But if you go to a party, and you do a month a certain amount of people you will find a dramatic case where the foot jumps off the floor oh that's what he's talking about and then you do it more and more and you get more and more subtle so there's none i have never found a person i couldn't mind ever
brings us to an end of another episode of the Sensible Hippie Podcast. A huge thank you to Adam Bergstrom for joining us today and sharing his extraordinary insights into mind hacks, the language of our feet, and the colorful tapestry of our thoughts. To my wonderful listeners, thank you for tuning in and joining us on this journey through health and wellness. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family who might also appreciate these deep dives into the unknown. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Your support means the world to me and it helps keep bringing you engaging content. And don't forget to check out our website, sensiblehippie.com for more content and follow me on social media for the latest updates on Facebook, X, and Instagram. You'll find me there as a sensible hippie. And remember, the power to transform our reality starts from within. And sometimes it's as close as our own two feet. Until the next time, stay curious, keep your mind open, and keep your feet grounded. Bye! The mountains hide my hindsight And all I see is you The future out before me Is coming into view The heartache that brought me here The hurt that held the fear And tied me to a stone Now I'm rescued from my chains I'm free to walk away And now I'm coming home We know, we know We don't have to speak
inside my hindsight And all I see is you 